Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.
Chapter 6, text 46. I believe the title of the chapter is Brahma Satisfies Lord Shiva. So we'll do the word for word first. Na, not, vai, but. Satam of the devotees. Dvacharna arpita atmanam of those who are completely surrendered at your lotus feet. Bhuteshu among living entities. Sarveshu all varieties. 
Abhipashyatam, perfectly seen. Tava, your. Bhutani, living entities. Cha, and. Atmani, in the supreme. Aprithak, non-different. Didrikshatam, those who see like that. Prayena, almost always. Roshaha, anger. Abhibhavet, takes place. Yatha, exactly like. Pashum, the animals. Navai satam charanarpitatmanam Bhuteshu sarveshu abhipashyatam tava Bhutani chatmani aprathagda drikshatam Prayena rosho bhibhavedyathapashum Navai satam tvacharanarpitatmanam Bhuteshu sarveshu abhipashyatam tava Bhutani chatmanya prathagdhidrikshatam Prayena rosho bhivavedyathapashum Navai satam tvacharanarpitatmanam Bhuteshu sarveshwa bipashyatam tava Bhutani chatmanya pratigda drikshatam Prayena rosho bibavedyathapashum Navai satam tvat charanarpitatmanam Bhuteshu sarveshwabhipashyatam tava Bhutani chatmanya prathigda drikshatam Prayena rosho bibhavad yathapashum. Is there anybody else who would like to chant? Navai satam tvat charanarpitatmanam. Bhuteshu sarveshwa bipashyatam tava. Bhutani chatmanya pratigdhidrikshatam 
प्रायेन रोषो भिभवेदु Translation by His Divine Grace, Sri Sri Bhaktivedanta Swami Shiva Prabhupada. Please repeat, my dear Lord, devotees who have fully dedicated their lives unto Your lotus feet certainly observe Your presence as Paramatma in each and every living being. And as such, they do not differentiate between one living being and another. Such persons treat all living beings equally. They never become overwhelmed by anger like the animals who can see nothing without differentiation. I'll just repeat that one more time. My dear Lord, devotees who have fully dedicated their lives unto your lotus feet certainly observe your presence as Paramatma in each and every being. And as such, they do not differentiate between one living being and another. Such persons treat all living beings equally. They never become overwhelmed by anger like animals who can see nothing without differentiation. Purport by His Divine Grace, Sri Sri Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. When the Supreme Personality of Godhead becomes angry or kills a demon, materially this may appear unfavorable, but spiritually it is a blissful blessing upon him. Therefore, pure devotees do not make any distinction between the Lord's anger and his blessings. They see both with reference to the Lord's behavior with others and themselves. A devotee does not find fault with the behavior of the Lord in any circumstance. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimate Bhidad Swami Jami Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Jami Namaste Saraswati Devi Gauravani Prasadini Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Pashtata Deshaparini Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vashada Gauru Bhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Vancha Kalpa Sarubhyascha Kripa Sindhu Bhayevacha Patitana so on this uh, beautiful Saturday in the month of Kartik, I humbly beg the blessings of Shri Shri Radha Govinda, Shri Jagannath Baladev Subhadamaya, Shri Shri Gornitai, Srila Prabhupada, personal Gurudev, His Holiness Virat Swami, and all the assembled Vaishnavas that I may speak something of substance in line with the Siddhanta. So please, be merciful to me. So we're in the midst of a 
important section in the Bhagavatam. Lord Brahma has by uh, the request of the demigods has been asked to address Lord Shiva. Lord Brahma is Parmeshti. He's the supreme teacher. He's also the father of this universe. And so because it is a uh, precarious situation, they have offended a pure devotee. And because uh, Lord Shiva has been insulted, not only by Daksha, but also his wife has left her body. So they've called upon Lord Brahma to try to appease the situation. And the 12 verses uh, that Brahma speaks are quite an eloquent and intelligent uh, prayer and through his speech, he's able to appease Lord Shiva. Of course, Lord Shiva, situated there in Kailash, is uh, situated in a trance. He's in Samadhi. He's no longer affected by any anger. His anger has subsided. He is sitting in Virasan. And uh, he's employing the Tarka Mudra, which is like this. And he's instructing Narad and the assembled uh, saintly personalities in devotional service. So when Lord Brahma, the demigods headed by Lord Brahma, approach Lord Shiva, Lord Shiva stands up and graciously receives him because Lord Brahma is his father. Even though Lord Shiva is actually in a more exalted position, he's receiving Lord Brahma would do respect. And the uh, example given in the purport of the Bhagavatam in reference to the way that uh, Lord Brahma is received is that uh, Vamandev also received Kashyap Muni in the same way. Even though Vamandev is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and more exalted still, uh, he was exemplifying appropriate etiquette by uh, receiving his elder. So if we analyze the argument that Lord Brahma has made, this particular verse is the fifth of 12 verses. So the, we can review the preceding argument that Lord Brahma has made to try to uh, put what is being said in this verse of the Bhagavatam in context. First of all, Lord Brahma extols Lord Shiva's position as supreme. He states that, in other words, that Lord Shiva is one with the supreme. And Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments that uh, Lord Brahma is taking the mentality or position of a Shaivite, that Lord Shiva is a form of Sadashiva and is above Prakriti and Purusha and is situated and is the source of the Brahman. That Lord Shiva is the creator, the maintainer, and the annihilator of the cosmos. And he does this through the agency of his own expansions, the Guna avatars. In the form of passion, he creates as Lord Brahma. In the form of goodness, he maintains as Lord Vishnu. 
and the form of ignorance that Lord Shiva, he annihilates or destroys the material cosmos. And then Lord Brahma comments after explaining Lord Shiva's highly exalted position, he, he states that Lord Shiva is actually a facilitator of Varnashram. The uh, spiritual social structure of four uh, Varnas or occupations and four ashrams or phases of life. And the way he facilitates Varnashram is by introducing the methodology of sacrifice. So in order to be happy, one must perform sacrifice. One must perform obligatory duties in a detached way and offer the results of those duties, the fruits of those duties to the Supreme. Thereby doing so, one gains the favor of the Supreme and uh, that favor, that benediction is received through the mercy of the demigods in the form of rain. So he's, he says that Daksha was actually uh, the person who was performing sacrifice that uh, one performs sacrifice to derive benefit from performance of religious duties and uh, by accumulating artha or economic development. And upon Daksha's death, there's no one to initiate the dharmic sacrifices. Next, he comments that Lord Shiva is the one who awards each individual soul the proper destination according to their karma. So we can see in the world, you know, some people are performing pious activities, auspicious activities, and some people are performing impious, generally speaking, impious activities, uh, inauspicious work. So those who are performing auspicious work are being elevated. They either go to the heavenly planets they may, or if they're performing the ultimate work, uh, they're promoted to Vaikuntha, the spiritual sky. And those who perform inauspicious work, impious work, uh, adverse fruitive reactions or activities, you know, they are uh, condemned to different varieties of hells that are stated in the Shastra. But upon saying this, Lord Brahma points out a certain discrepancy. He says, uh, you know, actually, one's destination doesn't necessarily follow this rule because, uh, and, he, and there's examples given in the, in the purport, you know, we have a Jamil who was once actually a qualified Brahmana of Ipra, but upon uh, associating with prostitute. He uh, became attached to her, decided to marry her, gave up his chaste wife, dharmic wife, and, and lost all his uh, class, if you will. And so he had performed a grave impious activity. But in fact, uh, you know, he actually achieves the supreme destination, he becomes liberated. 
And then conversely, we have Daksha, who is performing all these religious sacrifices. Yeah. Daksha is a progenitor, a prajapati. Uh, he is following uh, a dharmic way of life and he's performing different sacrifices to achieve the favor of higher authorities. But yet, because of a misunderstanding with Lord Shiva, uh, he's condemned to death and goes to hell. So, Lord Brahma requests clarification from Lord Shiva on this point. He has a doubt. You know, it makes sense if one performs auspicious work or pious work, they're elevated, and if one performs impious work, they're condemned, but you know, there, sometimes it doesn't necessarily follow that this is the case. So it begs the question, is Lord Shiva partial? You know, does he bestow his mercy on some and does he become angry with others? So the answer to this question is found in this verse. And it's describing the position of the fully surrendered souls. The charana arpita atmanam, those who have taken full shelter at the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Those persons take, uh, who have taken shelter see the presence of super souls, see the uh, localized aspect of Krishna in the heart of everybody, in all beings and varieties. And they also see others, other beings as a manifestation of the Supreme Lord's energy. So, in reference to this point, there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita, yo mam pashyati sarvatra sarvam cha mai pashyati tasya ham na pranashyami Satcha me na pranashyati. For one who sees me everywhere and sees everything in me, I am never lost, nor is he ever lost to me. This is what Krishna is saying. So these personalities, the charana arpita atmanam, those who have taken full shelter, they do not differentiate from one being to another. They see with an equal vision. And in fact, they're seeing others as also part of themselves. And because of this elevated vision, they do not become angry, and it's stated in, in the translation, like the animals. When we think of animals, we think of you know, a domestic uh, creature or some, some creature in the wild, but actually the human being, uh, if not brought to an elevated standard of behavior can also be considered like a two-legged animal. Those who are engaged only in the animalistic propensities of eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. And those who think that the uh, goal of existence is simply to satisfy the urges of the senses and do not inquire into uh, their source and the nature of the absolute those personalities may also be considered like animals. 
So the point of the verse is that devotees who are fully surrendered to you, Krishna, they do not see any distinction. They see with equality. So by logical inference, if the devotees do not become angry, then how can the most exalted personality, Lord Shiva, become angry? So to answer this doubt that Lord Brahma has, whatever Lord Shiva is doing is not out of partiality, is not out of anger or disgust. It's done as a function of mercy. So one central thematic point of today's verse is seeing things with equality. So the, the Sanskrit word for that is uh, sama. Sama means equality. So there is a verse in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna, uh, many verses where Krishna uses the word sama, but there is a specific verse uh, where he speaks about how he sees, how Krishna sees things. So would anybody like to tell me what verse that is? Okay. So in the ninth chapter, he says, Samoham Sarvabhuteshu Name Dveshyo Sinapriya. He says, I envy no one, nor am I partial to anyone. I'm equal to all. So this, this concept of equality is actually a divine quality. It's embodied in Krishna. In fact, Krishna's nature is, is absolute. In the purport, Srila Prabhupada comments that the devotees do not find any fault they do not criticize the actions of the Supreme. Why? Because the Supreme is all good. He's omnibenevolent. There's three omnis to describe the Supreme. There's omniscience, there's omnipotence, and there's uh, um, omnipresence. Omniscience means all-knowing. Omnipotent means all-powerful. and Omnipresence means present everywhere, but there's also a fourth omni. He's omnibenevolent. Whatever he does is for the ultimate good of everybody. Even though superficially, if one looks from the material angle, it may seem that uh, he's being partial. So one Shastrik example to uh, elucidate this point is the killing of Putana. Putana uh, was a great demoness and she was deputed by her brother Kamsa to kill Devi Krishna. And so she, through her mystic potency, transformed into a, uh, a, de a demigoddess, a Lakshmi. And she smeared poison on her breast 
and she approached Devi Krishna to feed him the poison, to breastfeed him the poison. And Krishna not only accepted the poison, but he took her life too. But not only did he kill her, but he promoted her to the same status as he would his own mother. So you can see that Krishna is all good. Even the soldiers on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, those who were present on the battlefield, upon, because they died in the presence of Krishna, they achieved liberation. No matter what they had done in the past, just by uh, being in the same vicinity as Sri Krishna. So this describes how Krishna is all good, that he's equal to all. In the material world, uh, the basis of the world is differentiation. We see ourselves and we see others in terms of differences. This is the basis of materialism. There's so many different ways you can distinguish who you are from who another person is. Some examples are race, the color of our skin, the economic class, what we have and what we don't have, our physical appearance, how beautiful we are, what kind of body we have, whether it be male or female. And more subtle uh, is intelligence, how our mind works, how our, how our intelligence is measured, and in fact, through history, there have been political and social movements and revolutions that have arisen uh, simply to protest against injustice, that at the core, there is a strong urge to see things in an equal vision, that at the heart, in spite of all our superficial differences, at our core, there is, there is an equality. In material consciousness, the dualities are propagated, whether it be good or bad, pleasure and pain, happy, sad. But in transcendental consciousness, by contrast, we see the universality or oneness of all entities. Because the wise, uh, learned soul sees the spirit soul within the body. They don't see the body necessarily. They see that the spirit soul, the consciousness is at the core of one's existence. In the Bhagavad Gita it says, Vidya Vinaya Sampane Brahmane Gaviharsini Sunichaiva Sapakecha Pandita Samadarshana. The humble sage, by virtue of true knowledge, sees with equal vision a learned and gentle Brahman, a cow, an elephant a dog and a dog eater, or an outcast. So in fact, what we're seeing externally is just a temporary manifestation that stems from our prior actions, our karma. 
And this, this external manifestation, this body is actually simply a source of distress for us. It's a symptom of our material engagement and with it comes birth, death, old age, and disease. So one example of a personality that saw with equal vision, some of us may have had personal experience of this and some of us know through the medium of literature or through those who had personal experience of Srila Prabhupada. In fact, Srila Prabhupada was always open to sharing Krishna consciousness with everybody, no matter what their personal circumstance or position was. He conversed with people from all walks of life, a change. When we live in a spiritual commune, a society, we can appreciate each individual's contribution as integral to the work of the institution. And we can band together in common purpose in the fight against ignorance or maya, because that is ultimately what we're doing. The second uh, form or level of sama or equality is seeing one's own personal circumstances with neutrality or equanimity. This is a more difficult thing to do because sometimes, you know, it's inevitable we live in the material world and the material world is dukalayam. Dukalayam means a place that is full of suffering. So reversals will come. And those reversals may sometimes challenge one's faith. Some common reversals that we all know about is death, loss of a loved one, or disease. If you have cancer, or if you're born with a congenital disability, it's a heavy thing to digest. And there's a contrast in the way one can respond. If one responds in a materialistic way, one may begin to question, why is this happening to me? Why did God do this to me? And if not properly handled, that questioning can turn into resentment. And sometimes one may even forsake God one may become atheistic or agnostic on the basis of a reversal in life. Contrasted with that particular uh, outlook is the outlook of a spiritualist who actually sees everything that comes as the mercy of the Lord. In yesterday's class, there was a, and in the purport, there was a shloka that is, is very important for uh, us as sadhakas. I'm going to read the shloka because I find it extraordinarily important. Tatenu kampam susumikshamano bunjana evatma kritam vipakam rudvagavapur bhirvidadham namaste jiveta yo mukti pade chadaya bhak. My dear Lord, one who earnestly waits for you to bestow your causeless mercy upon him. 
all the while patiently suffering the reactions of his past misdeeds and offering you respectful obeisances with his heart. Words and body is surely eligible for liberation, for it has become his rightful claim. So this kind of embodies uh, the way that a devotee perceives reversals and processes them. In our Shastra, there are many examples of pure devotees who are teaching by example, not that they're affected by these material miseries, but from an external point of view, they're undergoing severe trials and tribulations and how they persevere through them is instructive for us. We have Kunti Devi, the mother of the Pandavas, who became a widow at a young age and was asked to take care of five young children. And throughout all the reversals in the Mahabharat, she was steadfast in her duty and even suffered as a result of the Mahabharat war, suffered the result, uh, suffered the loss of her eldest child, Karna. How devastating. And then we have the Pandavas themselves who, who were the subject of so much intrigue and conspiracy, repeated attempts on their lives. They were fed a poison cake, they were placed in a house of lacquer that was burnt, set ablaze. They, were, they, were, uh, they lost their entire kingdom in a gambling match. There was dishonor brought upon their queen. And their land and throne was usurped. They were the rightful heirs. And so these are pure devotees, yet by, through their example, they're showing us how one can remain equipoised, one can uh, remain with equality. And we all have our own personal examples of reversals in life. I can speak uh, about something that happened to me recently. Uh, I slipped on wooden stairs and cracked my tailbone and through the experience, you know, I realized that, you know, the material world, quite literally, is a dangerous place where there is danger at every step. Ultimately, it served as a catalyst for me to take spiritual life more seriously, you know, because you never know, you know, I just slipped and cracked my tailbone, I could have slipped and cracked my head, too. So... Ultimately, we're engaged in a spiritual process, and the aim of the process is to become godly. It's to manifest the inherent constitutional divine qualities of the soul, because in fact, we are part and parcels of the divine, and we are also endowed with many wonderful qualities, one of which is equality or sama. And as we surrender more, proportionate to our surrender, we will manifest those qualities in due course. So thank you. At this time, I'll open the floor to any comments, questions, concerns.
Yes, we now call it up for blue. So in Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary on text 4642, 4642, uh, Lord Brahma says, my dear Lord Shiva, I know that you are the controller of the entire material manifestation, the combination father and mother of the cosmic manifestation and the supreme Brahman beyond the cosmic manifestation as well. So he's putting Lord Shiva on a very elevated position almost akin to Lord Vishnu, as you mentioned. He says, Lord Brahma says, I know you in that way. And so in the commentary, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that um, he, is, he speaks taking the mentality of a Shaivite. He's referring to Lord Brahma. The Shaivites think of the Lord, Prakriti and Purusha as the form of Sadashiva. That is the explanation of this verse. I know you are the form of Sadashiva, the Lord of the whole universe composed of Prakriti and Purusha, because I know that you are superior to the Prakriti and Purusha, Yoni Vijayo of the material world. I know that you are famous as Brahman without differences, Nirantaram. So, In the Brahma Samhita, Lord Shiva's position is described. Shidam yatada vivikara vishesha yogat. That nearly the same, but Lord Shiva comes in contact with the material energies, whereas Vishnu does not. And that is the distinction. Lord Shiva is compared to yogurt and Vishnu is compared to milk. So through the interaction of atoms, milk can turn into yogurt. In fact, the main constituent of yogurt is milk. Right? But you cannot take yogurt and turn it into milk. So undoubtedly, Shiva is an extraordinarily exalted personality. 
He's in charge of this material manifestation. He combines with Prakriti to form this creation. Now, regarding your question of, uh, he's addressing him as Paramatma. So, we've established that Shiva is an extraordinarily exalted personality. Now, through the agency of Paramatma, he's, he's given knowledge. And his, his intelligence is on nearly on the same level. But he is not Krishna. And he's not acting independently of Krishna. Krishna is endowing him with the energy to do what he does, to have knowledge the way he does. Does that answer your question? That's that's what Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur is saying. I mean, according to our Shastra, we understand the positions. We understand the relative positions of Lord Shiva and Lord Krishna. And in, in the purport, in the Brahma Samhita, in the purport to that verse, Shiram Yathada Dibhikara Vishesa Yoga, which describes Lord Shiva's position, it's, in the purport it says that it is not that Shiva is a second god. It says that uh, Shiva is actually an exalted personality that is an incarnation that takes on a specific function. But yet there is a distinction. A jiva cannot become Shiva. A jiva can manifest a certain proportion, proportionate number of qualities, right? The number of qualities that uh, Shiva can manifest uh, is, is of a higher grade. So he's in his own category. Jagadananda Prabhu. From Bhagavad he says, <coughs> or a question, he says, in today's verse it talks about Paramatma, and in Dhammarajikam we are reading how devotees don't even want to, to know Paramatma. Can you elaborate on this? 
Can you repeat the question, please? Uh, in today's verse, it talks about Paramatma and, and in Dhamma Ashtakam, we are reading how devotees don't even know, mm. want to know Paramatma. Can you elaborate on this? Sure. So, in the Dhamma Darashtakam, it says that the spiritual aspirant, the bhakta who is singing Dhammadarashtam does not even want to know Krishna's feature as Paramatma. Because the, the sadhaka, the spiritual aspirant, the bhakti yogi, simply wants to please Krishna. The object of uh, ultimate goal of a yogi is to understand the Paramatma within. And by doing so, sometimes they become confused and, and uh, ensnared uh, into thinking that they are actually Paramatma in their realization. But a bhakti yogi simply, as stated in the, in the Dhammadarashtam, simply wants to have the vision of Krishna in the form of Dhammadar. They simply want to please Krishna through devotional service. They don't want Brahma Gyan, they don't want to merge into Brahman, they don't want to uh, see the super soul Paramatma, they don't want mystic potencies or Siddhis, they simply want to uh, be a servant of the servant of the servant of the Gopi. there any other questions or comments? So, the pure devotee or an exalted personality like Lord Shiva, uh, when they exhibit anger, it's not the same as a conditioned living entity exhibiting anger. When Srila Prabhupada exhibited anger, we saw that it would just be a temporary manifestation and then able to just relinquish it and it was done for a specific purpose when Lord Shiva exhibited anger upon hearing because the news traveled that his wife had left her body uh, he exhibited anger and from his anger uh, a demon was created and that demon uh, wreaked havoc on the sacrificial arena and killed uh, Daksha so there were for the purposes of pastime. And also, Shiva has uh, 
a specific function. He is the annihilator of the cosmos. And so to facilitate that particular action, he exhibits anger. Whereas a conditioned living entity, when they exhibit anger, you know, they usually do things they regret later on. And it takes them a while to get over it. It's very contaminating. It's a very polluting influence to become angry. You know, it's compared to uh, holding a hot coil in your hand, hot coal, hot piece of coal in your hand. If you are feeling angry towards somebody and you want to hurt them, the analogy is that you're holding a hot coal in your hand. It's actually burning you. It's hurting you more than it's hurting them. But the thing is, uh, you know, it, it's not that these emotions are, can't be dovetailed in service. Hanuman, Arjuna, these personalities employed their anger in their specific services. Hanuman, you know, set ablaze the whole city of Lanka in his anger. Arjuna, in order to fulfill his uh, service to Krishna, became angry and was wholesale slaughtering people on the battlefields. You know, he wasn't a pacifist. So anger can be utilized in devotional service, but in the conditioned state, when we become angry, we end up polluting ourselves and hurting ourselves more often than not. All right, then. Anybody else? Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki. Thank you very much.